we rejoin our heroes in the basement of Hawthorne House. As you cast your eyes around the room, there's a set of stairs now in the far corner. You can see it in the gloom and a door in the wall in the far end of the room. It's the same one that the second skulk threw the bar off of and charged into before Vesper hit it in the spine with an ice knife and killed it. Where Vesper originally went down and got the rod drops in her skin. Yeah, she's not doing too great right now. I'm going to kneel down by her and check in with her. Are you okay to go on, Vesper? Not like I have much of a choice, Professor. Well, you always have a choice, Vesper. We're not going to leave you behind. We will have someone go back with you, but... I don't know if we really want to have to do that. It's not like you could do that, Professor. Well, I can't. You'd have to, boss. That's what she's saying. You'd have to be the one that goes with her. Exactly. Let's see. That ward you kept talking about that you were so excited for. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Let's just get out of here. Well, that's a capital idea. How about a shot of liquid courage instead? And Magrin will pull out um, some alcohol to offer Vesper. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but... We'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, Runetics, and let's roll. Okay, so as mentioned, this room has a long table with uh, five beds on the east wall. In the roof above you, there is a square trapdoor which leads into an empty sitting room in the house above. As you can see from down here, on the far end of this room in the far wall, there are stairs which will lead up to that floor. And on the opposite side of the room in that far wall is another door which sits open. Other than the dim light coming in from above, the room is unlit. Hey, Garnak, do you have uh, do you have something that can produce a little bit of light? Yeah, 
Sure. All right. I need I need ten minutes. Give me one. Just hold on. And I'm going to spend a few minutes going through my spellbook and conjure up an unseen servant. I whip out a cord that has uh, silver and red strands worn through it. I tie the ends of them together, and it lights up. So you now have a glowing rope that's emitting a little bit of. Uh, it's mostly just white light with a little bit of tinge with red and silver. Nice. I say to the unseen servant, wrist, please. And tie the cord around its wrist, then command it to go on ahead of us and potentially draw some fire. The thing about this unseen servant is it stands up out of the burning remains of the skulk. Steps over to you. When you say wrist, it offers you its wrist, uncomplainingly, as they do. Okay, they've never done that before. Arcana. Eleven. Thinking back, right, 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 right. A skull is an undead living unseen servant, right? Yes. It's fairly arcane. Only a true expert in the field would really remember that. And to your credit, it has been about 116 years since you even opened that the book it's in. Why it comes to you now, well, I guess things just do that. But anyway, yes, if a skulk is an undead living unseen servant, then the third law of eldritch conservation would necessarily just reuse those materials for yours. Wonder if there's any resonance in there. Just out of courtesy, I interpose myself between uh, the unseen servant and Vesper, as I feel like it would be a little upsetting for her to see that rise from the ashes once again. Well, the thing is, only you can see it, Jiro. It's your servant, so only you can see it. That's why they're unseen, right? True. Vesper is very determinedly not looking at the burning remains or the skulk or that area of the room in general. So to the rest of you, you see Jiro do the bujum he does to cast his spell. Then say wrist. And for some, like he just says wrist out of nowhere and ties this intricate knot in the glowing cord that Garnak just made and it floats around the room in a directed pattern. That's wow. That's academic magic. Huh? That's what it can do. Hey, Garnak. Yes? There's got to be some sort of etheric construct there. You can't see it. You can't see it in action. I mean, if you wanted to flip through the lenses, you could probably spend a while and figure out what kind of etheric construct it is. But no, he's that's neat effect, but it's that's a gimmick, right? That's uh, neat, though. How do you do that? I'll find out later. Yeah, it's it's interesting to note, right? And he didn't seem to build anything, right? There's no solid components to it. It's all that the, the thought of the thing is the same as the thing which you never really quite got, right? Dwarves are bad at that sort of magic, all told. 
They'd rather have a solid thing. If I can see it and feel it, then it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is why Juro's magic, it works. It clearly works, but it just, it doesn't feel right to be the kind of thing that you do. You know, your stuff is tangible. It makes physical, chemical, logical sense. There's no meta logic. There's no accounting for these etheric resonances at this time if wearing purple shoes. No, it always works the same way every time. Magic for the masses, right? All right, yes, where to from here? So before we leave the room, Finn's just going to shoulder the door that we came through, squeak it closed so that nothing can slip through behind us. You replace the bar in its hasps. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and then there's there's an open door leading north, right? Uh, and then a staircase Correct. going up. Yes. Yeah, I'm... Uh... I'm sending the Unseen Servant through that northern door. Okay, so you send the Unseen Servant into the room, and it vanishes, and you can see the light lighting up the room beyond. Uh, there are just the standard brick walls that you can see through the doorway, uh, unless you're right up next to it. If you're a ways back from the doorway, you see the light go into the room. How close are you to the door? after the unseen servant goes through it uh i'm just kind of, i'm kind of uh checking my corners uh before going before going through myself so i let it let it walk through there for a good you know couple minutes but also just uh staying right near the entrance okay so you send your unseen servant in and wait a couple seconds by the door the light jars and then shakes violently and then goes flying against the far wall. Shit. We got more company. You might want to light that candle, Magrin. Can do. I'll pull out um, the tallow candle and uh, light it. There's the sound of wet slapping flesh against the cobblestones of the basement floor coming towards the door into... Three. Okay, I want to take a shot with my can chucker. I just want to rotate it over to my nice little fairy fire round and shoot that over, see if I can get anything illuminated. All right, you fire it into the room and you hit or roll the hit. I rolled a nine. It's a 20 foot cube that outlines anything in, uh, in blue light. It just shoots out particles that would attach to anything and illuminate anything invisible. The reason I asked it to roll the hit was because when you launch the can into the room, the humanoid figure that comes charging out towards the door catches it in the chest like a big football pass. The impact is enough to set the figure stumbling back a couple of steps. When they remove their hands from the can, it doesn't drop. It is stuck into the torso of this person. The head looks down, puzzled, and then the body continues to run out the door. This is a zombie. A glowing zombie that's outlined in fairy fire, which is radiating from the can stuck in its chest. 
but a zombie all the same. You just glitter bombed a zombie. Proud of that. This zombie had been a human woman in life. What's left of her face, um, that's not now that she's kind of stumbling out with her, like I said, wet, bare feet. Uh, she's got these scraps of ragged, dark clothing that guard her decency, such as is left of it. Um, the white bones of her ribcage are visible in the neckline of her tunic, which is hanging kind of rotten. She drops her hands from her chest once the can is stuck there, and a trail of rock grub maggots falls out onto the floor. She uh, has lost a lot of her momentum, but she keeps, she comes stumbling out. She looks at Garnak and turns her ruined face, and with this sneering, snarling sort of noise, she opens her mouth, and like a red ichor and big fat rot grubs just kind of pour out over her ruined breasts and into her chest cavity down over the can which is stuck into her breastbone. I start cranking on some of the different rotors and get this thing back to shooting bullets. Click, switch, snap, shick, shack. Initiative, everybody. One. Six. Eleven. Eleven. Twenty-four. Finn, you go first, clearly. So Finn was kind of standing in the middle of the room. How far away am I from the zombie? You're about 25 feet. Okay. But I don't want to get close to those rock grubs. So Finn is going to draw his rifle, take a shot at it. But it's an eight. And that's all you need. (laughs) Okay. So roll your damage. So Finn cranks off around, and the runes that Garnak put on his rifle glow a little bit, and it's 50 in damage. Grabs a great big chunk of meat. Thanks to that big glowing can in the center of her chest, uh, the center of mass has never been easier to shoot. You bring the rifle up, and though even though it is a little close, no problem. Breathe in, breathe out. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Work the action of the rifle. Breathe in, breathe out. In, halfway out, squeeze the trigger, and kaboom, that can explode. And blasts a great big meaty chunk off of it. She stumbles back into the room with a squawk that is as much fueled by the impact of your round disintegrating the can, which is now, like, infused throughout this zombie's very essence. Uh, and driving its body back into the room. It lands on its back, and as the light dims just a little bit, something happens. Juro and Magrin next. After you, Doctor. I was actually going to suggest you go first. All right. How much would you say the chairs in this room weigh? Four pounds. All right, I'm going to fling one of those chairs using catapults through the door. And whatever is the, uh, anything that is in that path needs to give me a dexterity saving throw. DC 14. 
So was it just the one thing in the way? Yes. But roll your damage from catapult. Total is going to be 13. So Finn takes a shot. It rips past everybody, nails this zombie with the can in its chest, right in the middle of the can in its chest. The can explodes. The zombie, mostly hollowed out and now full of magical glitter, staggers back a few paces to land on its ass and then its back. As it sits up, blackness begins to leak out of its chest cavity. With that, an arcane gesture and a word as sharp as midwinter. Juro sends a chair rocketing legs first across the room to nail this zombie with all four legs through its torso at various angles. The body is driven off the floor to rest stuck in the far wall behind it. The darkness continues to pour out of the wound. But this zombie, it seems, is extinct. Excellent. I still want to burn it. Yeah, worrisome. Next up, Magrin. Um, I want to make sure that this black ichor it's leaking is not um, infectious. So I'd like to use detect poison and disease just to confirm that it's not going to turn anyone undead in our party. Okay, so as you go over to the black ichor to like to close enough to get an angle on it. Magrin is actually going to pull out a couple of crystals and uh, start chanting. Uh, she is seeking the um, the nature of the ichor, uh, trying to determine uh, if it's, you know, chi is towards harmful or not, based on the natural environment around it. Well, it is currently being stripped of all its flesh by the swarm, the same sort of rot grubs that are, as far as you can tell, ubiquitous in this room. But that's not really the concerning part, really. Um, the ichor itself, it, well, it doesn't really seem to be a liquid. And as you get closer and you keep, and you start casting this spell to, to make sure you can purify it, you, you, it doesn't seem to be responding. And in fact, when you raise your foot to get it out of the liquid, you find that you can't. The liquid has grabbed your foot. You pull your foot up, the liquid goes with it. You take a step back, the uh, the ichor just stretches with you. And now it doesn't even really seem that wet. And uh, another, the other pool, which was spreading easily out of the corpse, um, rockets across the floor towards Juro. I'm going to... I'm going to point that can chucker at whatever that is that's moving towards Juro and take a shot at it. Roll. Natural 20. Good shot. So that's max plus the roll? Yes. 25 damage. And uh, what kind of damage, please? That would be piercing, I do believe. It is a bullet. Is it magical? Sorry, say that again? It's not magical, though. It's not. It's It's just regular piercing? This is a bullet. Okay, it's just a bullet. So you uh, you blast this thing and uh, you you shoot right through it. It goes. Your bullet sinks into the floor. It uh, flows around it. Roll damage. Twenty uh, five. Right. Sorry. Um, it flows right around it and uh, leaks across the floor. To, like it, it just continues on its path towards Jiro. But the further it gets from the body the more it seems to leak away through the cobblestones. Kill it. Kill it fast. Burn it. 
Freeze it, something. Is the black ichor, like, above the ground, or is it just moving along the ground towards Jiro? It's flowing along the ground like a liquid through the cracks, but now that, like, the Garnak took a shot at it, and it flowed another five feet, and it all just seems to drain off into the cracks. You don't see where it's gone from there. It's like it either drained off to the floor, and or it just stopped there, but... And how far away is Magrin from me? Magrin is... Well, it depends on where you are. I'd say I'd moved up a little bit closer to the door, so... Then Magrin is probably 30 feet away from me. I would like to stride up towards where Magrin is trying to pull her leg out of the black ichor, and... I would like to cast Primal Savagery on myself, on my hands, and just claw the Black Icker away from her. Okay, well, it's uh, you're going to have to move around some people and through combat. So that's difficult terrain, and you are 30 feet away. You won't get there till next round. But you can move and have your spell up in order to have it ready to attack next round. Okay. All right. And now we are back to the top of the round. So, um, you you said that the black kicker is seeped into the like. Can I see it? It's still coming at us. Well, that's just it. Like, Garnak took a shot at it, and then it took about like it flowed another five feet and seemed to dive into the ground between the cracks and the stone. You don't know where it is. The floor isn't shaking or anything like that. Looking over at Magrin. She pulls her foot out, and now this thing explodes into a, a humanoid figure about her size. And uh, it leans in, grabs her by the cheeks, touches its forehead to hers. And there's a moment where she just kind of stiffens up. Magrin, in your mind, you can hear, Oh, hello, darling. Yikes. Uh, can I... Is it, like it? Can I take? Is it? Magrin here? Oh yeah, I'm here. I'm freaking out on this side. <laughs> what a beautiful mind you have! What a charming soul! I can't wait to meet you. Come and see me. And then the Icker lets her go and vanishes. Magrin, you get your knees before they bash off the cobblestones. This sort of this sort of ecstatic high for a moment, just to come crashing back. Well, that happens, right? Let's face it. You've tried a lot of different drugs in your medical experiments. How are you going to give it to somebody if you don't know what it does, right? So, you, you're used to just like having these ecstatic, intense experiences. So you don't quite collapse when it lets you go. But that was a lot. Holy crap, it was right in there. It touched your mind. And is that another frisson of fear you can feel prickling off between your shoulder blades? How refreshing. That's two today. Hey, this is Chance from NorCal Mythos Entertainment. I want to talk to you today about Lockdown, our upcoming anime-inspired tabletop role-playing game that's heading straight to Kickstarter. With all of our games, we really try to make it to where you can be what you want to be. 
and anime has so many amazing worlds and stories in it. Lockdown is designed as a sci-fantasy system, which means you don't really have limits on it. You can make any style of game that you want, whether sci-fi or fantasy or something in between. On top of that, we also added rules if you want to go through and focus in on shonen aspects or mecha aspects or cosmic horror or maybe some cyberpunk. You can design the system and have rules that will help you to play the game that you want, not just the game that was built in. Lockdown is an expansion also to Carbine Jungle, but it's also built as a standalone game. With Lockdown, you have everything you need to go ahead and start playing your games and enjoy your characters. So if tabletop role-playing games or anime is your thing, check out Lockdown hitting Kickstarter this April. Magrin, the shadows... Hands release your face. It drops in between the tracks and the floor and uh, with a splash disappears at your feet. The world rushes in in a wave of sensation and I need you to make a constitution saving throw. That's a total of 19. All right. You, you, you managed to gather your knees underneath you before you, uh, you hit the floor. Um, the next thing you know, Finn's broad hand is pretty much covering the entirety of your upper back. You're not a big girl, um, even for halflings. So you're steadied, but that was, that was, well, that was what it was. How was that? You all right there, Antimags? No. Something was in my brain. Speaking to me. Did you get a sample? Sample? No. I don't... I don't think he was literally in my brain. I think he, you know, projected himself there. Is this... Well, that's not... Go ahead. Is this, has this ever happened to you before? I'm typically quite sane. If that's what you're implying. Garnak starts to say something and just puts his hand down and just, nope, I'm good. Juro narrows his eyes at Garnak and then walks over to investigate the cracks in the floor through which the shadow disappeared. Is there any residue, any... Uh, any indication of the shadows passing? The camera takes a view of Jiro from the side, and as his eyes narrow, they're... What color are your eyes currently, Jiro? Uh, it's springtime, so they are a... Uh, they're like a pale green. Okay, so there's like a pale green light from his eyes, both pupil and... Uh, like the white, the, the whole of his eye is that color here in the dim underneath the house. Uh, as, as he dims, as he squints his eyes, sorry, as he narrows his eyes, the soft green glow of, his, of sorry, the soft green glow is shuttered somewhat. And the perspective switches to Juro's bathed in soft green light. We see between the cracks of the stones, there are like dead bug corpses and some bits of dirt and dust. But through the cracks in the pile of stones that is Hawthorne Hill, 
the shadow retreats, leaking through the cracks like a liquid. Back to Jero, who turns his face over to Finn. It's down there, Jero, but it's running away. You'll never get to it. You'll have to bust a hole in the floor and move every rock in between. And it's it's not hindered by that sort of shit. I don't think I've ever seen a shadow do that before. I'm pretty sure that thing wasn't under its own control. Oh, this is terrible. The, oh, the... We didn't set up the glyphstone. We got none of that on tape. None of that was recorded. Not one bit of that was recorded. Oh, I'm so disappointed. You fucking kidding me. Okay. We... I think there's more to this house. I think we can go even deeper. I... Do we want to do that right now? Should we press on, or... Does it... Does everybody... I, I could use a just a couple minutes. I think Auntie Mags could use a couple minutes too. Oh, definitely. I I wonder if there's a way to check my own magic ley lines. There is. Oh, I could do that. There is, but uh, it would you'd need to be at your lab. But I'm sure Garnet could too. Yeah, if you're injured, I can't really do much about it. But if you're magically out of whack, that I'll definitely be able to see. I just want to make sure that the shadow didn't leave any lasting effect. Actually, that might be something that I've had that I would know. It, uh, I am going to bend down in front of Magrin as well, or at least pivot where I was already bent down and uh, look at her and see if she has any signs of someone who's been possessed either recently or is currently. We need you to make a... Okay, what is the average of your perception and arcana scores? Mine's four. Thank you. You can add that to a d20 roll. Uh, oh yeah, average is uh, a four for me as All well. Alright, so you can both roll d20 and add four. I got a twelve. Nice one, Jero. I got a 20. Nice one, Jero. Thank you. All right, so you both have a look at Magrin, and uh, the bruising is pretty easy to see on the sides of her face, um, Garnak. It's thomic bruising. It's smacked all of her, like all of the tiny little kid. Like, that's the thing. When Yoda said, I have to stop stuttering. Holy shit. Let me try this again. All right, starting from the bottom with Garnack with 10. The thomic bruising is easy to spot. As soon as you, you know, just shift your goggle into that spectrum, it's obvious. You can see the handprints on her face. It has been speculated by the more woo-woo set that, you know, luminous beings we are, composed of energy, um not actual matter and there's a lot of science to back this up you're kind of on the fence on that sort of thing right now but as far as checking out somebody's magical ability it certainly does have some sort of credence looking at her now you can see two great big handprints like completely encompassing her cheeks with the thumbprints meeting 
in between her eyes, just between her eyebrows at the top of her nose. Um, the rest of these long fingers wrap almost entirely around her head, and you can just see the thomic bruising on her anima. Juro. By the look of that, there was absolutely nothing pleasant about that. You have seen people like writhing and slithering around in absolute anguish just from, you know, the having the touch of the shadow on them for half a second before you turn the light on and blasted it out of there. Agrin was there for seconds on end and she still hasn't cried out even though that must be thomically agonizing. I very tenderly touch the side of her face. I pause pause before I make contact and just to get the uh, a nod of approval. Is this okay? Um, when you approach her initially, she probably does jerk back a little bit, uh, suspicious, but uh, she will allow it. As she jerks back, I will pull my hand back slightly uh, and wait for the actual nod. Uh, and when it when it comes, uh, I will gently touch it and uh, tilt her head slightly. I'm sorry. That's that's a touch I've I've felt once before, and it's well, it's brutally painful. And just, I'm sorry that you went through that. Eh, I've had worse. That a girl. Yeah, actually, it does look like you took a good one too there. Uh, your name's still Magrin, right? Of course. I mean, it wasn't a picnic exactly. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I'm still up and kicking. Do you? F- do you? F- okay, this might sound crazy, but you know how I do magic. And is there anything still in there? Do you hear anything? Is anything talking to you? Do you hear any? Do Do you feel anything moving under your skull? Not particular. That's what. I, that's why I wanted you guys to make sure that there was nothing left in there. Try a medicine roll, um, Magrin. Fourteen. Magrin takes her one thumb between her other thumb and forefinger and gives it a really good pinch. She inhales and then screws her eyes shut. And when she releases her thumb and breathes out, you can see that the uh, thomic bruising, for you, Garnack, it lightens by five shades. Um, Same thing for you, Juro, except that now you notice, like, why it didn't hurt her. It really didn't. Like it, it right now the bruise is on there like mud, not like a bruise. It's more of a stain that she just wiped off with a bit of a pinch and a breath. You are a fascinating creature, Magrin. Did you know that? I've always found you unique too, Juro. There's a devil of an itch right between your shoulder blades, though, Magrin. 
Are we going to take a few minutes? Because if we do, I'll, I'll set up some gadgets and see if we can get a better reading on what's going on here. I think that could be a smart idea before we blindly run into another room. Adam, I'm going to set up my uh, my Preternatural Enigma calculator and get ready to use it to cast Detect Magic. See if I can get a, any type of bearing on anything else around that might be dangerous. Okay, well, um, the first thing you do is you secure the room, right? Like get this dead woman off the floor and throw her out the door and close it, maybe, right? Get a good view. Get get a good view of what's going on as you're setting up the uh, PEC. The rest of you can uh, check on Magrin and secure the room. No problem at all. There's well, nothing really happens while you're doing that. Once the PEC gets throbbing, though, after about four pulses, once it's reached out through the wall. It starts to sound off like crazy. Evidently, there's something hugely magical on this other side of that wall right there. The one that Juro... In the opposite direction that we came in from? The one that Juro pinned the body to, and we just threw that poor dead woman out the door. From, yes. That wall. Guys, this might not be good. What's going on? Uh, here, take a look at this. Do you see? Uh, do you see the peaks and valleys that you have over in this section? Something over there is um, metaphysically big, like really big. Yeah, yeah, I see that. All right. Well, it can't come through the door if we alarm it. Correct. It, it could can, come through the but door, but we know it was coming. Okay. Well, if we're going to hunker down for a couple minutes, we should probably see to that. And I'm going to go over and uh, pull out my spell book and start uh, forming these sigils and pulling the piece of silver wire between my fingers that will allow me to... Uh, put a magical sensor at the doorway. All right. So you get casting that. There's a ding from the calculator. Sorry, there's a ding from the PEC. Fields analyzed. Strong presence of transmutation. Necromancy. Evocation. Thomical energies. All right, so we got stuff dying, we got stuff blowing up, and we got stuff changing in here. What about on Magrin? Does it look outside of the residue from the attack? Is there anything that seems to actually be like a lingering presence on her? No. Mags, you look clean. Thank you for the confirmation. I'm going to uh, insist that you. Spend a few more minutes off your feet, if you're okay with that. I could go for a snack, honestly. Um, and Magrin will pull um, some kind of rations and maybe a uh, canteen out of her hair and munch. No, no, I'm not eating that. No. 
I wasn't offering. This entire time, Vesper has been kind of staying in the shadows in the back of the room, trying to get her hand to go back to normal. Because it doesn't seem to really want to change back. No, and it's got these wicked long bony claws to take up your entire finger from the last knuckle out for about four inches of just this long, wickedly curved hawk talon claw. It looks really cool, but she's definitely like got it slightly behind her, turned away from everyone, trying her best to go back to what you were. God damn it. There's a sound of stone grinding on stone from the corner where you're standing. I immediately turn to look to see what the fuck that was. The camera takes a long shot. You can see Vesper in full figure as she turns around and the panel of the wall behind her sinks inward six inches before pivoting on a hinge. A secret door opens and light pours out along with several chemical scents. What sort of chemical scents heavy, are they? Heavy chemical scents, like, uh, like there's all kinds of mixed. Like it smells like a cleaning closet back in there. Vesper just kind of exclaims loudly in surprise and readies herself in case anything comes out. The bone claws in front of her. Takes a couple steps back with your bone claw hand out in front of you. And as you move your left foot back, the stone you are standing on shifts slightly and the door slides closed. Huh. Slowly move my foot back. The stone sinks like a fractional inch, maybe a sixteenth of an inch. But then the door slides in six inches and sp- Wings open on hinges. So it's fully open now. Yep. Everybody. Is anyone else? Everybody else. Vesper's found a secret door. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Did we see or hear the movement? Well, while you were reading your displays and all this, and Vesper was off in the corner, she stepped on the opening mechanism and now you've just noticed the door open and close twice while she's been dancing you all saw this happen from your various positions in the room well i'm not going first vesper will walk and look in the door to see what is in there juro finishes muttering his spell and there's like a bit of a thomic energy around the door that came in as the spell finishes and takes its effect it it almost it thrums almost like a an invisible guitar string has been drawn across the the door jams which is essentially how the spell works i like it i'll use yours it's better that's the <laughs> best that's the best part of being able to edit this this podcast i can take the best parts now don't go off alone vesper Where is she going? She's still, she just kind of looks back with a little bit of a grin, little flash of fang, and still trying to hide the bone hand, because 
She doesn't want to deal with Magrin's questions at the moment. Doesn't really start. Doesn't really work well since it's like twice the size of the other hand, right? I'm I'm fully aware. She's just trying. That's, and she's like you're you're doing a really good job of hiding it behind the tiny waist. You've all told us you you've told us all you have because it, it's <laughs> pretty much you could palm a rugby ball with this friggin' weapon that you made your hand into, and uh, you're trying to hide it behind your you know, Barbie doll figure. No, not working. Yeah, she knows it's not working. That's why she's trying to check this out so she can get away from people. Well, this house is full of surprises, but this is what we came for, right, Professor? I, I yeah, I I guess. I don't know. We've, we're we're kind of surrounded by things at the moment. There's powerful magical energy that way there's a door that way rock grubs behind us don't forget the rock grubs rock grubs behind us thank you uh let's focus on one direction at a time we can make it to everything it's just i i'm afraid of going too much deeper and having and coming back to something that was waiting for us the whole time. Just because it happens right now. Do you remember that light stick that Jer that uh sorry, do you remember that light stick that Garnag hung around the neck of the unseen servant who met its untimely demise in this room? Yes. That goes out. And so now the lighting in the room changes to what's coming off the don't tell me now. Paranormal Enigma Calculator? Yes. And from out of the door. Vesper is lit from the front in this eldritch green radiance. Whereas the rest of you who don't have... Well, everybody has dark vision now. But uh, the rest of you, the room kind of just melts into the dark. Shit. Adam, I pull out another one of the, I pull out another one of the light ropes and get the thing tied off so that it starts emitting light again. Yep, just give it a quick snap; it lights right up. Good shake, glows right up again. But uh, it's weird, you know. The chemistry should have lasted longer than that. Can I get you to roll insight, Garnack? I got a twenty, not natural. Okay, so there's this thing that really persnickety magician alchemists will do. Not the scientists that go to school and learn science like everybody else who becomes an artificer in the world, but, you know, magicians. Um, there's a thing that happens sometimes around them where their ego gets in the way and only their chemistry works. So someone with a big enough uh, emotional presence and mental presence basically is just interfering with the other effects that are going on around it. If you had to guess, because that was at least a six hour light and it lasted what, five minutes? So if that's happening here, I, I don't make shabby equipment. So if something is going through and actually blocking off the fields to my light, there's something significant here that's going through an overriding 
the different effects that are in this keep. You'd bet your beard on it. Uh, Juro? Yeah? Whatever you thought was walking around in here, up in a weight class or two. Okay. Even more reason not to go through the secret doorway. Vesper, step away from the doorway. Uh, please, please, Vesper, step away from the doorway, please. Vesper is currently standing in the doorway, looking in. There's a short hallway that takes a right about eight feet up. How how far away from Vesper am I, would you say? Everybody is within 30 feet of everybody else. Uh, for you in particular, Jura, we'll say 17 feet from where she's standing. You were casting at the door. She's in the opposite corner. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a, a step forward, maybe, you know, two feet or so, uh, and uh, throw out a lightning lure and try and grab her by the by the back of the shirt. Uh, Vesper, can you make a strength saving throw, please? 17, and do you mean the shirt that is completely torn through in the back? Uh, okay, fine. Not the back of the shirt, just around the wrist. 17, though? Uh, darn. Okay. Tickles, Vesper. It, it tugs it tugs your wrist slightly just to get your attention. Doesn't do any damage unless, you know, you come get too close to the person casting it. Vesper just turns her head to look at you and then looks down at the thing on her wrist, looks back up at you, and flicks it off with a very long claw coming out of her other hand. Yeah, the claw just kind of snips off the electrical connection and the lure falls to the floor and eventually nothingness. I'm sure we all stumble back a step when we see her hand. What the blazes did you do to your hand? You were pulling on that lure, so yeah, you definitely stumbled back a couple steps. The blazes did you do to your hand? She turns halfway, kind of looks at it very uncaringly, flexes it and just... <clears throat> start over she turns sideways kind of just flexes out her hand looking at the very long long claws on it and just goes oh a spell or a shift whichever one you want to call it aren't they glorious I'll move a bit closer and get a closer look at them May, may I may I touch it? I suppose, Professor. And Vesper will just extend the bone claw to him. It's got the same grit as rhinocepede horn. Hey, Magrin. Neato. Spontaneous mutation. I bet she's out again. Professor? Um... No offense, but... What are we here for? Why are you wanting to run away again? Excellent question. Uh, run away? I'm not He's just picking a direction. At least that's what I got out of it. 
Yeah, thank you, Garnak. Just if you don't have to... a route, a route of retreat is needed. If we don't have a path out, in case something happens, then we can't get out. Leaving someone at your flank is never a good idea. Vesper, I'm pretty sure you've been taught about the same thing. The impenetrable fortress is also an inescapable prison. Nothing is impenetrable. Nothing is inescapable. Nothing is unbeatable, as she pulls her claws away. But we must make a decision now. Just sitting here does nothing to help us with this. Well, in my experience, if we take the path less traveled, usually we can get the drop on whatever it is we're hunting. We, we don't know that it's the path less traveled. We don't know much else about this place except that it's very, very haunted. I'm just trying to focus on one thing at a time. We have a giant magical presence on the other side of that wall. We have a door that leads who knows where. Uh, there's a hole upstairs to the house that we haven't even we haven't even looked at yet. I just think that we need to focus on one of those things at a time, and the giant magical presence on the other side of this wall is the most immediate. Well, get your exorcism gear ready, then. Does the passageway that I found lead towards the magical presence at all? It does. Well, it appears we can kill two birds with one stone. Er, I think that's the expression you use. I don't... Sounds so weird. Why would you kill a bird with a stone? I'm gonna walk over and peer through the doorway and look towards that that bend that you mentioned to Vesper. Well, apparently I've forgotten how architecture works. Let's go through this doorway. Thank you. Can I lead the way? I have claws. Runelanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Sure. <laughs>